0: This is recording number 10762 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fourth message in the Jesus Was 30-something series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning May 4, 2008. This message is titled, The Hunger for Home. Of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament. It's real easy to find. The Bible is divided into two sections, the Old, two main sections, the Old and New Testaments. Matthew is the first book in the New. When you have gotten to the book of Matthew, turn to chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, Today we're finishing up a four-part series of messages called "Jesus Was Thirty Something," and it's uh, you know the title of this message is is my attempt to be clever, <laughs> on one hand, but on another uh, I'm very serious, uh, and that is and, and the reason that I'm serious is because I believe that um, those who are part of the. Uh, what is referred to often as Generation X, those born between 1960, roughly, between 1965 and 1980, are facing a unique set of circumstances and issues that, the, that Jesus, in his life and ministry, addressed. And it's not, it's not just a matter of trying to be clever or novel uh, when I say this, it's the truth that when Jesus was carrying out his mission and assignment uh, as he walked this earth, he had you in mind. And he had your generation in mind. And our church is primarily made up of people who are part of that generation of people, again, roughly born with birth dates between nineteen sixty-five and nineteen eighty. And I just really have been feeling for a long time and finally got around to exploring this a little more in a little more detail. But I've had it in my heart for a long time that the Lord wanted to speak to, wanted us to look at, and He wanted to speak to some of the issues that are unique to that generation of people. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about these things. First, we talked about the, the secret sorrow, and we dealt with the subject of depression. And then we talked about the search for significance. And uh, then last week, we talked about um, the missing mentors. And this week, we're going to conclude by talking about the hunger for home. Now, I... Uh, I've asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to start reading beginning at verse 46. But before we do, I want to just uh, mention, I kind of want to set the stage, I guess, a little bit. And talk about how, this is really true, all of these issues that we've been talking about over the last few weeks are so broad and so uh, uh, generally applicable that whether you're from Generation X or Y or Z or Zebra or, you know... Uh, boomers, or wherever you fit, I believe the Lord is wanting to speak to you. But there are specific applications of these things that I think the Lord wants to address, as I've already said, to Generation X. And it is true for those who are part of that generation of people that there is an, an acute longing for home and family. I've been an observer of this uh, you know, f- because all my all three of my children are part of that generation, and I've watched them and how their 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 uh, priorities are much much different than mine were in this area. And just think about the rise of you know Home Depot and Lowe's and IKEA and even Target. The transformation of Target <laughs> into you know this this homemaking center where you buy your furniture <coughs> excuse me furniture and Candles and you know wall uh, uh, hangings and all this stuff. It, it it's a, it's been an amazing transformation for me to watch, and I've puzzled over why you know because I've watched my daughter, who <laughs> you would have ne- my oldest daughter who you would have never, ever, ever in a lifetime expected this to happen. When she, um, you know, moved out of our home and began to, and and I I acknowledge that this is kind of true for all of us when we, you know, move out and start to establish our own life. But, I mean, the transformation in her was amazing. And she, she became, you know, Bob Vila, like overnight, <laughs> uh, it's just an amazing thing how how much effort and focus went into establishing her own home, even when she was single, and then even on a magnitude greater when she was married and or got married and. And, and so I've puzzled over why this is so important. And even my, my son who used to tell us when he was growing up, yeah, yeah, when I move out, I'm going to look for the abandoned uh, mattresses on the freeway and uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, eat off of paper plates and things like this, I have no interest. And th- the minute the kid moves out of our house, he becomes, again, you know, this like everything, oh, I got a I nest, you got to create my, you know, space. And... and uh, yeah, so I, I've puzzled over that, and then I, so I've done some research and, and came to understand, at least in part, where some of that longing comes from, and that is that, you know, my generation, the boomers, we've talked about this over the last few weeks already, so pardon me for exploring territory we've already covered, but we, we boomers did a really lousy job uh, in establishing, you know, what a home ought to be like, what a family ought to be like. And we were, because we cast off all tradition and we were just kind of trying to f- manufacture our own our own uh, rules. And in the process, we en- ended up creating a bunch. Of, I, I was talking to a kid, not a kid, excuse me. I was talking to a man this week who was telling me that and he 's a, a, a from generation X, and he was telling me that from from five years old from kindergarten he was handed a key and came home at you know noon or whatever he is. he got out of kindergarten to a locked home or you know and he was home alone a latchkey kid baby boomers invented that term. we were pushing the limits in every direction and just and and decided that uh, you know two career households were more important than you know establishing and, and i 'm not even saying that, that there 's anything wrong with it i 'm just saying we decided the priority was to pursue our own our own careers our own stuff and and that took precedence over establishing a kind of family life that was uh, should have been a greater priority than it was. Um, There's a lot of reasons why this is true. but Those are just some of them. But Generation X is longing for the home they didn't have. Longing for the home they didn't have. Now, let's read together. Chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at verse 46. And I'll warn you. This is... um, uh, I want you to stay with me because this is going to seem at first rather cold and harsh uh, when we hear the Lord speaking here. And I want you to to uh, stay with me as we examine what's really going on. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he, Jesus, answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now at first glance, it seems as though Jesus is dissing his mom and his brothers. You know, there, somebody comes to him and says, your, your mother and your brothers are waiting to see you. Well, who is my mother? These are my mother. And of course, that wasn't um, anywhere close to the intention of the Lord. It comes across, it sounds a little like that when you read it here. But I'll tell you what was happening. Jesus was uh, describing a new family he was creating. Those who were partnered with him, linked with him by means of devotion to God. Now, I want you to think about Jesus for a minute because in all and every single thing you could ever deal with or face in life, he is our example. He understands. The Bible says he was tested in all points just like we were. Now think with me about Jesus for a minute. And I, I don't want to. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm trying to be real careful here when I talk about this. I don't think that um, there was anything um, that uh, Jesus, uh, or excuse me, that Mary or her husband Joseph uh, were. I, there, there's nothing to indicate that they were anything but the best of of uh, parents to Jesus. I'm not suggesting that at all. But there are some things here about Jesus' family that in the scriptures, we don't take time to research today, but it, every indication is that his brothers and sisters, and by the way, I realize that there are, are those who teach that Mary was a perpetual virgin, and I, I, I'm i not here to, to tear that that. Doctrine apart, but I do have to say that the Bible does not teach that in fact it 's pretty clear i mean it 's very clear that Mary and Joseph had children together after Jesus was born, and um, it 's also clear that jesus 's uh, half siblings uh, did not believe in him it 's uh, clear that at at some point along the way. One of his brothers, James, did come to believe in him, but that was after the crucifixion and resurrection. And James actually became a leader, the leader of the church, the first church, the church in Jerusalem. And so he, turn, he, he came around, but in the beginning, they did not believe in him and were not followers of him. It's curious to me that from the cross... When Jesus, who is the oldest, and to whom the responsibility for care of his mother uh, uh, belonged, and by the way, we talked about this before, that somewhere between age 12 and his early 30s, when we follow Jesus through the gospel, somewhere in that period of time, uh, Joseph apparently passed away. And so Jesus is responsible for the care of his mother. And from the cross, I mean, he's dying for our sins. And he loves his mother so much that he, is, uh, he makes the point of making sure that her care, her, just her physical, material needs are cared for. But who does he give that responsibility to? Not his brothers, but to, to uh, one of his disciples, John. I don't know what's going on there, but it doesn't sound too good. It sounds to me like there's some, you know, some problems in the family that I don't believe, like I said, there's any indication that uh, Mary and Joseph are responsible for. But just think this through that Jesus is probably dealing with what all of us deal with a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Every one of us, at some level, uh, have, you know, stuff about our birth families, and that ain't so pretty. Am I right? And so Jesus has walked this path. He understands what it's like to have a longing in your heart for, for a family that's different than the one you had or have. He has a longing for a family different than the one he had. And he's saying that right here. He's not dissing his mother and his brothers, but he's saying something about all of us when he says, here's my family. This is, this is the way family should be. Now, having said all that, I want to talk to you about something else that Jesus modeled for us in this regard. And, and we're going to take a look at four occasions in the few minutes that we have left when Jesus visited someone's home. And I want you to see from each of these examples how Jesus, uh, or or the impact of Jesus on that home life. And I want you to see with me how it is that the Lord uh, wants to reshape our homes and our families so that we can have the, the home, the family that we long for. Most of us really, by the way, don't know what that is. I mean our our concepts are kind of shaped by by popular media. I mean some of us when we think of family we think of uh you know June cleaver and uh you know the beeve. Some of us think of you know uh the jetsons I don't know what it is that you you go to, but you know we, we oh yeah. Laura Ingalls Wilder in The Little House on the Prairie. I don't know what it is that you think of. But, but, our, I, but, but what we have, you know, the family that we have doesn't look like that. And we think, you know, I want that one. or and, and, But we really, there's a longing, a genuine, genuine longing that's there that Jesus wants to answer to. But we not really, we're not really sure what it is we're drawn to. We just know we're drawn to something different. And I want you to see that when Jesus visited these four people's homes, there was a transformation that reshaped the way they thought about their homes and their families. And let's learn something from that today. So we're looking for a better model. And I'm not going to actually have you um, go to the the passages where these uh, things occur. I'll just, I will, I'll just uh, paraphrase them for you, if you'll, if you'll uh, pardon me for that, and, and then we can move along a little more quickly and, uh, and get you out of here at a decent time. But Jesus visited a guy named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. And we've talked about this before. Tax collectors, just as they are today, were not well-liked. Uh, They were servants of the, uh, I mean, they served uh, the Roman Empire, and they were, they had quotas. And they, uh, you know, some of them, uh, they had different ways, different methods of collecting taxes, but here was the point. They had a quota, so much they had to collect for Rome, if they could get more than that, they could keep it. And so they had this great motivation to really stick it to you. And so they had a bad reputation. Zacchaeus was one of those. Jesus was coming through Zacchaeus' town one day, and the word spread to everybody, you know, Jesus, this, this one who's been healing, and this great teacher, he's, he's passing through our town. So all the people come by to see, come out to see him. It's like a parade going by. So, so Zacchaeus, you know, he can't, get, <laughs> he can't see over everybody's heads to see Jesus. So he climbs up in a tree. And, he's, and so he's, just so he can get a view of this, you know, character, this guy Jesus that he's heard so much about. So Jesus passed by and, and he turns and looks at Zacchaeus and he says his name, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Just like that. And can you imagine how he must have felt You know, first of all, the last thing you want to be do, want to have happen, is somebody point out the fact that you're climbing up in a tree, right? And so, in front of everybody, says, "Hey, you, come on down from there, Zacchaeus. Come on down. I'm coming to your house today." An amazing thing. And when Jesus visited Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus says, "You know, I, I, um, I've, I've been, I've treated people badly." And for every person that I've stolen from, I've taken from them more than I should have, I'm going to give it back. I'm going to give it back in multiples. I'm going, to, I'm going to turn my life around. Instead of being a taker, I'm going to be a giver. And what's described there is repentance. Now, a lot of times when we think of the word repentance, we think of people, you know, uh, kind of, scrunching up their face in regret and, you know, maybe beating their chest and, oh God, I'm so sorry, you know. But that's really not what repentance is. Repentance, the, the word repentance simply means to turn from the way you're going and go the other direction. And that's what happens here. When Jesus visited Zacchaeus's house, Zacchaeus changed direction. And instead of being a taker, Zacchaeus became a giver in a big way just because of the visit of Jesus to his home. What I want you to see there is that the kind of home that each one of us longs for, the family you long for, the one that's different than the one you grew up in, is a family where there's been a turnaround, where the self-centeredness and the selfishness that keeps people, you know, in antagonism, changes where there's giving instead of taking what is it about your uh, maybe even your your current family that needs a turnaround a reshaping let Jesus visit your family life and turn that around that's what you long for so home is to be a place of repentance it's also supposed to be a place of worship. Jesus visited three of his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And uh, it says there that you, this is also a very familiar passage that you know Martha was serving up a storm and just making sure everybody had you know that there was flowers on the table and that there's food and that you know it gets replenished. Uh, all, all that you know, she was busy, busy, busy serving, and her sister Mary was like not even thinking about any of that, just parked at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. In fact, there's another account, that we don't know if it's describing the same occasion or another one, but there's another account uh, that ta- in one of the other Gospels that talks about Mary breaking open uh, and pouring out on the feet of Jesus this f- extremely costly uh, oil or ointment of spikenard, of perfume, uh, I, my wife came home from Macy's yesterday, and I said, "You've been to Macy's, haven't you?" Because she's got, you know, she's radiating all of this perfume stuff, you know. You know, it's like going through a car wash when you go to Macy's. They're spraying you from every angle. You've seen that. <laughs> I mean, even me, I go in there and I say, "Stop, stop." <laughs> anyway, but she, so she's uh, Mary. You know, she's pouring out this... I mean, it's like the the value of that vial of spikenard was uh, a year's wages. So she's pouring out this great sacrifice of worship and just all she's intent on is, what does Jesus have to say and how can I uh, give him my life's devotion? And Martha is looking at this and going... And she actually comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, make her help me! And Jesus says, wait, Martha, Martha... By the way, anytime the Lord says your name twice, you ought to listen up. Martha, Martha, I'm glad for, for your, your, I'm paraphrasing now. Actually, I'm probably putting words in Jesus' mouth, but he says, I'm, I'm glad for your desire to serve everyone. But you know, really, Martha's the one who's got it right. There's really only one thing that's important, ultimately, and she's got it our home, our family needs to be a place that's centered around the worship of Jesus. Now, I realize that there's tons of other stuff that happens in our, I don't know, I assume your house is a lot like ours. And I've used this illustration before, but it's a good one, like the deck of an aircraft carrier. People just firing off in different directions and guys running around, you know. It's like that, isn't it? And there's so many different responsibilities and obligations that we have. It's just, you can't, it's hard to get a, a peaceful moment sometimes. And so to consider, how, how do we, you know, call time out in all of that and figure out a way to reorient our, our purpose and reorient our priorities to be about Him? Well, that's a, it's a tall order and a, a decent-sized decent challenge. And yet the family you long for... The home you desire in the depths of your heart is like that. One where Christ is honored above all else. Where it's not about how, you know, where are we going to put a bigger television. <laughs> At the place of worship. The home you long for is also a place of salvation. Jesus came along the road to another uh, uh, toll booth where another tax collector was at work. His name was Matthew. He says two words to Matthew, follow me. And the amazing thing is that this guy just drops everything, leaves his his post, and becomes a follower of Christ, ends up writing the very book we read from this morning, the gospel according to Matthew. And... Yeah, the first thing that Matthew does... Now, now, Matthew, bless his heart. You know, I don't know what his life was like, but apparently, you know, his friends were not the most righteous or religious group, you know. And, and he wants them to encounter the, this incredible grace that he's experienced in the person of Jesus Christ... And the only thing he can figure out how to make that only way he can figure out how to make that happen is to throw a party. So he, he brings all of his sinning buddies over to his house and invites Jesus and his disciples in hoping that the two if they get together they will have they'll experience his friends will experience something that G, that he has experienced from Jesus. And all the, you know, wherever, there's always this entourage following Jesus around everywhere where he goes, the posse of the religious leaders. They're always trying to figure out some way to discredit him. And they're sort of outside the gates, you know, watching this party going on, and Jesus in there, and they're disgusted. Now, how can Jesus, how can Jesus claim to be, you know, the Son of God, and he's hanging out with sinners? Ooh! And, and Jesus was so crisp with his answer. He says, he says, you know what? I didn't come for those who are well. You guys, you guys, and of course they weren't. He, at another time, he said, you guys are like, white, like um, whitewashed sepulchers. You don't even know the death that's inside of you. But he was, he was kind to them and he said, you don't need me because you're so well. But these people, they're sick. They need me. Anyway, the point of the matter is that when Jesus showed up at Matthew's house, you know what happened? Salvation came to that place. Salvation came to that place. The home and the family that you long for, the one you want, is not the one with the shiny bends in the driveway, it's the one where people show up and encounter Jesus in your house. That's the one you want. Where the good news that has changed your life spills over into them, their lives. I, I think I've told you this story before, but the greatest, honestly, the most wonderful experience I've ever had in my over 25 years as a, as a preacher person was the day that I got to baptize four of my neighbors in one of our neighbors' pool. And watching those people who we've lived next door and you know trimmed hedges together and you know walked dogs together and things like that come to find the the blessing of knowing Christ as we had. There's nothing like it. That's the family you long for. That's the one you want. And finally uh, Jesus was vis- visiting uh, Peter, we believe, at Peter's home in Capernaum, and I've actually been to this site, and uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain to you how how that made me feel to be at this place where, you know, just a regular old guy, Peter, a fisherman, uh, sometimes just a bumbling fool, <laughs> you know, a lot like me, lived. And was transformed by, by his he and his brother and you know the, the, his community was transformed by Jesus in so many ways. But um, at Peter's house, Jesus visiting there one day, uh, all of the people flocked to hear him teach. And, and in fact, there were so many people in Peter's house they couldn't. Uh, uh, there was no room to get anybody else in. And um, there was a guy in town who was paralyzed and in need of a healing touch from Jesus. And he had four friends all who all they could think of was getting their uh, hurting friend to, to Jesus in case he might be able to heal him. And you know the story. They couldn't get in through the front door, so they haul their buddy up to the roof. They tear the roof apart, and they lower him down to where Jesus is speaking from the roof. Jesus uh, heals the man, and he walks out of there Whole the home the family the one you long for is the one where healing takes place where healing and wholeness take place among your you and your family your children your spouse as well as those who live nearby the friends that your your kids bring home you you know you want your home to be the the house on the block that's like a hospital and and, and you may live alone by the way you may you may rent a room from someone by the way. You may not have, you know, authority over the whole house. That doesn't matter. Wherever it is you park yourself, wherever you sleep at night, that place. You know, you can decorate it and you can fix it up and make it really lovely and however you want to handle all of the material part of it, but that ultimately won't satisfy the home that you long for is the one where people get, get uh, in touch with the healing power of Jesus Christ. I, uh, in September, I will be performing a wedding for a woman who lived next door to us uh, when we lived in San Jose. Her name is Shahana. And when we first met Shahana, she was... Well, let me give you some background. She, was a, uh, she had been raised in a Muslim home. And had just a lot of struggle uh, with the gospel that she encountered with us. And by the way, my wife and I are not, not by any stretch of the imagination, you know, the kind of people who you know have signs in our front yard that say "turn or burn." You know, <laughs> God is coming. I mean, we're not like that. You know, uh, you, you almost have to, you know, pry it out of us. But but uh, but anyway. It's, at first, with as we just you know became acquainted with with Shahana, she had a real struggle with you know Christianity and and uh, uh, Islam and and trying to you know figure out navigate all of that. And we would just you know we we didn't even we would, didn't debate with her or anything. We just kind of lived our lives and, and tried to answer whatever questions she would give to us. And she, but she did. She came to have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ while she lived next door to us. And then after a time, she disappeared. Now, we knew she was still living next door, but we never saw her. She wouldn't ever come out. And we we tried to reach out to her. We would call. We'd go over, actually knock on the door, and she wouldn't answer. And we started to wonder if it was something personal that we had done. What it was was God was after the 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 brokenness in her life. And I I, I won't go into all of the the details, but there was serious issues there, just like we all have, that the Lord was after healing. And I want to tell you that as we continue to press in, as we continue not to let her go, but just make ourselves available to her, the Lord, especially my wife Sue, the Lord used her. And and, um, she has today, she lives in Portland, or not in Portland, in uh, Salem, Oregon today, uh, but she has come through so much healing. And I, it's just a delight. I, I, I'm doing the um, premarital counseling by way of um, video calls from computer to computer. It's quite kind of interesting. But, but anyway, it's just a delight to see her there on my computer screen with her smiling face. And whole, whole, healed from all that crippling junk in her life freed from the addictions that plagued her, just seeing what God has done in transforming her is such a delight to me. And to know that we had kind of a hand in that is like, it's the best thing in the world. The home, the family that you long for is the one where people encounter the healing power of Jesus Christ. We all long for a family where there is a turnaround where we, our, our relationships together are centered around our devotion and worship of God, where um, the, the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is on display and where his wholeness can reach to broken lives.